I mean, I don't want to, you know, boast or anything, but I'm actually fantastic at press-ups. Welcome once again. Hello. How have you been enjoying your long weekend, Eddie? Nice to have some some time off from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. What what have you been up to? Yeah, I haven't been up to much. Um, strangely, I've uh, we've walked the dogs. It's been lovely weather, isn't it? So we've at least been out in the garden, which is quite nice. We've got a small courtyard garden though, and I really want a bigger garden because Pip would just flourish in a big garden, and she's got a poor leg at the moment, so she can't go out. And I feel a bit sorry for her, but. Um, yeah, she's been watching the pigeons come in and going, and uh, it's been nice. You know, just hearing all the wildlife. Really, we've, we've we have flock of geese, goose, not, geese, not flock of geese, flock of seagulls. Bad here, no. strange here. Well, yeah, we have all sorts of birds flying over because we're close to a river. So uh, it's nice, you know, just to listen out for the birds. And do you think yeah. that we're hearing more? I was out for a walk the other day, and maybe you're imagining it, but we can hear more wildlife. It is spring. Spring has sprung, but. Do you think we're hearing more wildlife, or are we just imagining that, or can we hear more perhaps because of less traffic sound? Let's see the positives, every cloud and all that. Yeah, I think we definitely can. There's definitely less less traffic going on. I mean, I know where you live. Uh, you're close to the M6, aren't you? But you're a bit away from it, if that makes sense. So you're probably hearing very little. I'm hearing nothing, so uh, other than lovely birds and... Uh, can I just say we're trying to sell our house at the moment? So if you're listening and you think close to the M6, we're not that close. I mean, we're not right under the Thelwall Viaduct, but um, yeah. So I don't no. think houses are going to be selling in this current climate. I'm not sure there are too many viewings being arranged. So yeah, I was watch- actually there's a house being built close to where we live. It's a mass. It looks beautiful. I mean, every time I walk past it, I think, God, that look. And I, I found it online the other day, and they're trying to sell it for like 2.8 million. Right now, round our area, that's a lot of money. So a lot of money anywhere, obviously, especially up north. But it's a lot of money even for down south. But um, I saw yesterday, I think the guy who's actually trying to sell it, he was out there yesterday just working on his own, kind of getting some stuff out of the ground. He, he did look a bit sad, actually. And I thought, God, I wonder what's going through his mind. Um, mm. So yeah, I tone down already there. Apologies. but Well, no, exactly. Uh, cheering everyone up. We were looking at a house. Um, good chat, this. We were looking at a house and we went in straight in, to the viewing and went into the garden and suddenly, you know, just there's a little fence on the other side of the fence. Um, there were two children, one on a scrambling bike and one on like a quad bike who were just roaring around. So instantly, that's me, I'm done, I'm, I'm out of here. But worked out afterwards that I think they were um, the, the Wayne Rooney offspring. Now, I'm not saying because you know, he's got this massive, and we were in that, looking in that area. I'd like to stress that the house we were looking at was not in the same ballpark as... I think it might have been the gatehouse for the house that he lives in, but uh, I mean, I imagine that. I'm pretty sure they would love to have someone as famous as you uh, now, um, with your 208,000 followers on Twitter, uh, moving next door to them. To call them. Yeah. Disciples. Um, I mean, we've got to dogs. talk about you and, and your dogs, because you've had another dogs incredible dogs. week. I mean, talk about, you know, going viral with not just one video, but now two videos, and it was a brilliant sequel, in fact... I think I even preferred the sequel, so I can't wait to see what what's coming next to to finish the trilogy. Or indeed, I think it's just at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, just talk us through that because I've been looking at your Twitter this week, and it is going just crazy, isn't it? It's gone a little bit mad. Yeah. So you, because you were talking about the first video was a bit of fun and went a bit mad, and then you thought, well, you're never going to do a sequel because you're not going to do anything as good as you know the Nutty Professor to the Clumps. You're not going to you know live up to to that kind of sequel. Home Alone Two, um, what's a bad sequel? What's a really bad sequel? Police Academy Seven. Uh, I think it was just the guy doing the sound effects and Hightower. I think even Steve Gutenberg had left by then. I'm a little bit em- embarrassed by it all because, but I have genuinely been touched by it all as well because everybody has is coming in with messages saying, "Oh, this has cheered me up a bit," or "This has just made me laugh," which is which is nice, and that's just nice, and it's nice to see nice stuff at the moment because I think genuinely people are are struggling with with the the mental issues of it all. Um, as much yeah. as anything else, you know, it's just I, that the the world seems a pretty ugh, 
place at the moment, pretty ugh. And so just, you know, a chance to laugh at something silly. And yeah, dogs are I'll, normality as well, aren't they? You know, you know, you, you, Pip and Gus, your dogs, they don't know what's going on. So they're just a little bit of normality wandering around your house. Yeah, no, that's true. And thankfully for them, you know, I've, I've not changed, um, unlike yourself. And I've just got a word of warning, you know, and it's one of the lovely philosophical quote here, just to get into the strap of things. It's fame is a mask that eats into the face. So that's just a word of warning for you there. Mm. Andrew and um, you know face eating mask Eddie's bringing the tone up again cheering us all up a face eating mask Uh, I think that's true though but it's not I'm not famous I'm known in America as the guy who commentates on dogs though so that's um, have you had any more TV show um, offers yes but I I have said no to them this time I don't know I don't feel I don't feel that comfortable do you feel a strange do you feel a strange sense of sense of pressure now that you've got that money because honestly and this is speaking me speaking honestly the more my twitter took off a little bit i did feel a sense of pressure like oh actually i need to put out the occasional tweet that you know supports my newfound following is that something you're feeling yes but also you so your following will be largely golf fans so the the trouble is and it's not trouble because i love dogs and i love dog people but the vast majority now of people following me are here for dog videos or comedy dog commentary or just dogs, just dog stuff. Um, but then, so what are they going to do when I, you know, tweet out news about, you know, extra against Northampton in the in the European <laughs> Rugby Cup? I mean, it's not, or, or anything about um, golf or athletics or tennis or whatever it might be. So... I'm, I feel a little bit of responsibility to occasionally tweet something about dog. I mean, I would anyway, but it's more my Instagram is really where my dogs live. And Twitter, I haven't really done Twitter that much in the past. I've sort of steered away from it. So Yeah, well, a lot know. of them probably be thinking, Exeter in Colorado, they have a rugby team. Didn't know that. Is there an Exeter in Colorado? Or are you probably. Just, oh, I've just made that up. Another... If there is, then that's brilliant because I've just made that up. Yeah. yeah, George could say I punched a shark. Um, anyway, but I think the main thing about this pod is that it's finding something to talk about in golf. I mean, there are always things to talk about, but it does feel that sort of general hibernation has kicked in for all of us. We're all just curled up in a tree like a squirrel or a, a Kodiak bear who lives with a squirrel in a relationship that neither family approves of. But when we started this pod... So we were talking about, right, we've got to get it going before the Players' Championship. And then we'll do it, you know, through to maybe the Tour Championship or the Race to Dubai. Um, And then we were thinking it was going to be difficult because you'll be playing tournaments and I'll be away at whatever sporting event it might be. But it turns out the difficulty is actually, you know, just that the world has stopped spinning on its axis. So we're struggling to think of things to, to talk about. So this week... This week's pod, Eddie, we're just we're just going to try and grind out a decent enough round in brutal conditions. You know, yeah. when you're struggling with your swing, just get a 72, 73, not losing too much ground. Have you yeah. had those days before? Oh, many, many a time. Um, thankfully, we've got a great guest this week and, uh, you know, a, a lengthy one as well. He kind of saves the day. I feel like he's... He's the free drop. You know, we've, we're going to hit it in a couple of bushes today and we've got Nick Doherty coming in and we're just going to get lucky. We're going to find a rabbit scrape or a little mm. molehill or whatever and, and get a free drop. So, you know, people have got that to look forward to at least. Yeah. OK, well, I'm going to try and bring some energy to this. This week on the pod, this is what's coming up. Not much, really. We do the name game. Eddie recommends some stuff and we'll be hearing from Nick Doherty. And that's about it. So, um... There we are, that was some energy. Right, a, a social media roundup for golfers. Um, I couldn't really find that much. I mean, Rory McIlroy seems to be quite an influencer at the moment. He's been promoting something called Whoop. I don't know if it's oh, Whoop yeah. or Whoop. Um, whip. Whip. Are we recording whip. now? <laughs> yes. Oh, we so, are. So, yes, we are still. Um, so he was on the Whoop podcast. It's billed as the most powerful recovery and training tool. And here we are giving it some more more uh, publicity. Then overnight last night, he posted an Insta story of him lying on an acupuncture mat before bed, as you do. He appears to be naked. Uh, Well, it's a shot from the chest up, so I'm sure he's not entirely naked, or perhaps he is. Use your imagination. But he's quite freckly, Rory. I didn't realise he was quite so freckly. You you should have an acupuncture (laughs) bed, though. I've just gone his uh, Instagram. I'm just looking at the very picture. He is very freckly, actually. See, now that's living in Florida. Surely the sun's brought that out in him. I can't imagine you'd get that kind of complexion that he's got living in Hollywood, Belfast, um, wherever, you know, Northern Ireland. But um, he's got a tattoo of R on his forehead as well. That's a strange place to have a tattoo, isn't it? Does it? What? He's got a blue R on his forehead, yeah. I didn't see that. I think that might be something. Bit of Insta art, maybe, actually. Right. So, um, Shane Lowry as well, doing the press-up challenge, which is going around, which um, 
Uh, Nick Doherty talks about it. We'll hear about that in a moment. Um, sure excited about that. But Shane Lowry doing the press-up challenge. He's he's looking rather more and more um, like the wild man of the mountains. He's got the hair that uh, to go with the beard. Yeah, and he gets to he gets to twenty. Let's just say that. Spoiler alert. He does get to twenty eventually. Have I'm you actually, done that? I'm actually I haven't done it, but I'm. I mean, I don't want to you know boast or anything, but I'm actually fantastic at press ups. Um, my uh, my physio uh, does a test where I have to see how many press ups I can do in a minute. And he does it with all his players. And uh, I think last time I did it, I did about 52 or something, which he said is very good, actually. I'll take confidence from that because for a fat guy like me or for, you know, uh, a chubby guy, I think that's pretty good. One thing I am looking forward to. Sorry, is that true? Is that a George Kutzea punching a shark? No, no, that's deadly true. Yeah, that's true. Good depth, full depth in the press-up? Yeah, yeah, no, full depth. I mean, one, you know, as pure as it gets. Um, Great techers. I am looking forward to, when we all come back, seeing how we're all going to be looking because I reckon... You know, there's going to be some extraordinarily different looks from players, whether they've lost weight, put on weight, hair, you know, shaving, all sorts of stuff going on. Um, you know, the locker room at a golf tournament will be pretty fun, I think, the next uh, few tournaments we see. But yeah. um, I think people are going to be impressed with me, actually, on the bone broth diet. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely moving more towards the uh, you know, the Brad Pitt yeah. uh, so part you- of the woods. Have you not given that nonsense up yet, the bone broth, or is that still... No. You can't... I mean, I would think in, in in lockdown, as we enter week four of lockdown, you are allowed some luxuries or some diversion from perhaps we, previous strict regimes. We had an avocado a week ago. Oh, my goodness. And I'm not kidding. I felt like absolute for two days, and I had a really bad tummy. That's an avocado. It's amazing. You know, on this diet, we've we've been so... We've eliminated everything so much that I think the system now, you put anything back in it, that isn't from an animal and it just, you know, it just spits it out and hates it. So uh, I think I'm destined for this the rest of my life. You know, I really do. I'm, uh, just, just eating meat products, animal yeah. products for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't sound uh, entirely pleasant. Have you done your Joe Wicks workout this morning, incidentally? No, we haven't. We haven't. We've been working out a lot, but that's a great idea, isn't it? You know, see, out of, out of this whole thing, we have got some stuff like that. And there are people, what, what has been interesting for me is I've found that during this period, I felt a lot less creative. Um, I felt like I'm just frozen. I mean, I'm I'm still being active and I'm still thinking a little bit, but I've got no appetite to be creative. Whereas I see someone like Joe Wicks doing what he's doing, even yourself, you know, with your dog videos, that takes a, an element of motivation to actually do something. Mm. Um, but I do think it's quite interesting. I, I suspect there'll be many people who, competitive people that will just feel like I'm feeling where they just can't be bothered to, to do anything creative and they just want to compete. And there'll be other people that are using this time really wisely to actually like Joe Wiggs is doing, which is amazing, I must say. Right, good, good chat. Um, So there we are. Uh, More serious news. Know that uh, Ian Finnis online, talking about good good online stuff, Finno, uh, Tommy Fleetwood's caddy, has been organising a raffle. Pretty high-end raffle on Twitter with the the prizes he got. But this was to support tour caddies, about £35,000 raised. Lovely man, Finn. I mean, he, if there were a fight between all caddies, and let's be honest, there probably is quite often, um, but he, he would win. I mean, you wouldn't. He would be like, he would be one of the giants in Game of Thrones that people are just hanging off as he wades around, flinging them hither and thither. But yeah, I would want, I would want him in my corner in a fight. But there we are. £35,000 raised to support tour, tour caddies. Because we think, you know, tour caddies, some of them are making a tremendous living because their players are awesome sauce. But, you know, some of them, it, it, this is going to be a very, very tough time indeed. So well done, Finno. No, that is great. That pays for a lot of um, maths uh, test textbooks, actually. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do require such things. Actually, some of them are very bright. Colin Byrne, he's probably the brightest caddy out there. You're right. That's interesting. He is. I love going out with Colin. He's uh, he's a great caddy. And you're right, he's definitely one of the smarter ones, isn't he? And there are what I like about caddies is they're not... They're kind of people smart, aren't they? I think really good caddies display a level of intuition that lots of successful people across industries also display but what they do have is you know a level of intuition that they understand people and I think in that particular role obviously that's a that's a massive skill to have but you do see that among lots of successful people you know they're intuitively smart instinctively they have a good understanding of you know where to go next and um even my caddy Mick Doran I also think is very good at that to be fair 
Okay, that was the the faintest of faint praise for caddies. They're they're not that bright, but they're good at other things. Says Eddie Pepperell. So get on to him, caddies, please, because I think you're all amazing. Do you uh, just on social media thing? Because we talked about Max Homer, who is a funny, funny guy. Um, PJ Tour Pro. So he's doing. I was going to say he's doing clinics. He's not really. He's analysing or basically laughing at people's swings that he gets sent. But do you think if people? I'm not asking people to send them uh, swings to you. But do you think you'd make a good teacher? Are you, would you be a good teacher or are you one of these players that just does it and doesn't really know how or why? I would be a terrible teacher. I have no idea what would work for the average golfer. I, I'm so far away from simple that um, in terms of what I focus on that I, I think they would just look at me and you know be like, well, what's going on? I don't know what that means. Um, so, you know, every time I ever... That's, that's part of the reason, one of the many reasons why I'm so terrible in pro-ams. To my partners, um, you know, I mean, I'm bored mostly, but even then when I have to give some advice, I just don't know what to say um, because I don't even know what I'm looking at. I can only relate it to myself and, you know, I'm so far down a rabbit hole there that, yeah, I can't even see the light anymore. But, um, like a jack yeah. muscle. Anyway, yeah. I, I said we weren't going to have much to talk about and here we are just blethering on. So I, I thought we should probably keep this a bit short because the Nick Doherty interview coming up shortly is, is quite long, but it's worth, it's worth its length because it's very, very good. So uh, we should really just rattle through a few other things. Uh, some sad news. Doug Sanders has died at 86. Does, what, is, what does the name Doug Sanders mean to you in golf? And I'm not just testing you for your not, lack of knowledge of anything before 2015, but what Doug Sanders, does that resonate at all, the name? Honestly, I, I just think of the two-foot part he missed. The poor guy, you know, he's just died. And I mean, probably for the most part, he's going to be remembered for missing a two-foot part. That's what people do remember. Um, I would stretch it out to three feet to uh, to make him feel a bit better. But it was the famous, infamous um, part, two-and-a-half-footer, perhaps, to win the Open at St Andrews in 1970, and he, he, he missed it. It was slightly down the slope, but it left. Right. Henry Longhurst's commentary, and that was, was is, beautiful. Is that the year where Jack Nicklaus threw his putter so high that I still don't think it's come down? Yeah, so that was in the playoff, when he right. shot, and he won that by a shot. That's why he was so pleased, 73, uh, 72 to 73. And he flung his putter in the air, and, it, and it's just about sculled Doug Sanders and that was used on the starting titles for BBC golf coverage for, for years the sort of image of Jack Nicholas looking aghast as his putter nearly decapitates Doug Sanders but it was it was a sh- because he was such a good player Doug Sanders a very short really weird short flat swing he had a bit of a neck problem apparently and that caused he couldn't get that rotation but I'm not surprised it, after Jack Nicholas's putter fell and hit him on the neck no exactly but this was slight, goes slightly back beyond that and he was uh, but he, was, he won 20 PGA Tour events he wasn't just runner up in that open he was runner up in 66 when Nicholas won at Muirfield uh, alongside Dave Thomas and he was so he's runner up in four majors in total, twenty PGA Tour wins. But uh, I mean, I, and it's sad in a way that that's what he was remembered for because it was you know anybody who's ever missed a short putt certainly of my generation since then was always a bit of a Doug Sanders moment. And he was asked once what he thought about that putt, and there were a couple of responses that might be slightly apocryphal. But he said either no, I don't think about it often, just four or five times a day, or he said some, well sometimes four or five minutes goes by where I don't think about it. So. <laughs> You hope it wasn't a sort of life of regret because he had a great life and he was a really colourful character, Doug Sanders. So uh, I'm sure he had a, a great life, an 86 and, a, a, you know, a great player. So Doug Sanders, we uh, sadly missed. Right, we have to do um, schedule news, although there is no schedule news, but just to keep you updated because it, almost immediately after we recorded last week's pod, the, the Open was cancelled. Not postponed, cancelled. We were hoping they might play it in September, but quick thoughts, Eddie. Well, yeah, desperately sad that it's not obviously going to be played. And, um, you know, I know Wycliffe Jean made the announcement about the Masters saying it'll be gone till November. See, that's a reference I don't get, but obviously there must be a, there must be a Fuji song called, or, or just a Wycliffe Jean song called uh, Gone Till November, is there? There is. <laughs> I'm quite proud of that one. <laughs> so I've, I've just um, stepped all over it by explaining it. Explain a joke and ruin it. Okay. Yeah, well, it came into my mind and I thought, I've got to Google that because I'm not entirely sure it's true. It was true. Um, yeah, okay. well, a great song. I'll be gone till November. I'll be... Anyway, so, well, I was thinking before the Ryder Cup, there really le- legitimately is only one major because, okay, there's two, but, you know, surely they're going to have picked the team before the US Open, which is what going to be the week before. Yeah. The Ryder and Cup, I, and I'd be surprised if the USPGA happens in August as well. Right. So to me, like, if you're a captain, that is an extraordinarily risky qualification process unless you change 
the picks, you know, and I know Keith mentioned on email to us that they're considering a few things, but, um, you know, I don't really see how Podrake at this point, you know, I think because the European points list could have, you know, with all due respect, I mean, it's, it could have some very good players, but it could also have some players who have performed well in the early season or some of the smaller events or, you know, big events, but not majors. And usually it's during the majors, obviously, where you get your Justin Roses and your, your top, top players come through and jump up the, the points. But if that's not happening, then, you know, the, the qualification process is surely going to have to change a little bit. Yeah, but what they could do, and I think Podrick might have talked about this, um, just having 12 captain's picks. Why not? You know, I, mean, it, you know, I think that's uh, not a bad way of, of I, doing it. Do you know it. who you'd pick? I guarantee you one of the picks would be Damien McGrain. Why? Well, he loves Damien McGrain. I've seen him talk about him before. I think saying he's one of like he's like the ultimate professional. He might even partner him with Peter Laurie. Be a tough pairing to beat, you know. Maybe not around Whistling Straits. Might be a bit long for them. But um, Justin that, Johnson McGra- and Brooks Kepka against Damien McGrain and Peter Laurie. Damien Peter McGrain, Laurie, Peter Laurie are fine players. So they were not- very good players, and I'm not criticising them. I actually Peter Laurie. I played with him in Qatar in my rookie year, I think. And I fit some bad tee shots, let me tell you. But he is still responsible for the worst tee shot I've ever seen on tour. Um, it was it was so desperately far right. It was uh, really? it made Breitbart look, uh, you know, like Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, it was dreadful. Mm-hmm. Politics. Yeah. Um, right. Okay, we've got to move on. Although I'm going to do Eddie recommends before uh, our interview this week because we're just going to, because it's a long interview. It's coming up soon again. <laughs> oh, be still your beating hearts. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's time for this. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite good if you like that sort of thing. Right, Eddie, what have you got for us uh, this week? This week I've got, um, well, I'm keeping it in line with your new followers um, because obviously, like we've alluded to, they're going to be from the dog universe. And uh, so I thought, what can I recommend that some new listeners are going to take from this podcast? Because I very much doubt they're going to take anything else. So I've got two dog films and um, one's called Isle of Dogs. Oh, yeah. It's a Japanese animation film, but with English subtitles. Thankfully, because those from Exeter, Colorado, are not very good with the Japanese, um, and it's just a brilliant film. You've probably seen it. Have you seen it, Andrew? Yeah, but it, it it's sort of set in Japanese set. But is it not a Wes Anderson film? It is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, it is brilliant. It is awesome. Yeah, and the other one is called Pick of the Litter, which is about training guide dogs. And I watched this oh. once coming home from America last year. And I think I there was some alcohol involved, but I cried for like two hours. I think just watching it, it was so. Um, Pick of the litter. I'm right. I'm, I'm writing that down. Yeah, it's just um, absolutely brilliant. They follow like five or six guide dogs to training, and I didn't realise just how difficult it is. I didn't realise how tough it is for certain families because they have to take them on and then they have to give them up if they're not doing quite a good enough job. I mean, it's brutal, right. you know. It really is tough, but yeah. a beautiful film. There's one I do sponsor guide dogs. I do. I get my little pup date every month. Um, yeah, but oh, well, actually, can I on this yes. topic then? I'm going to give a shout out because I have a, a badge called Dogs for Good on my bag, and um, they're having a tough time at the moment. And actually, sadly enough, I, I met this woman last year who had an amazing dog, uh, a German Shepherd, who helped her out, and uh, she unfortunately died last week i was told but they're a brilliant charity they're based in the uk dogs for good and uh, i actually sponsored a dog and he's just been born and he's called hogan i named him hogan he's a little yellow lab but mm. sorry andrew i just wanted to get that in because no no that's you don't charity. have to apologize for that. that's great dogs for good so look them up named hogan after hulk hogan um <laughs> right well those are good recommendations uh, i'm i'm glad you brought them up uh, i have to say when you recommended dmas last week uh, and i like an old man said the dm ah oh, the dmas like ah oh, you're on the twitter um, the peloton had, or the peloton i'm crushing it on the peloton um but yeah so i had heard heard them before very charlatansy um very good so well done i like i'm liking your recommendations right it is time we hear from this week's special guest a man who was one of the brightest talents in the game certainly had success on tour but his journey from really brilliant amateur to professional and then the highs and lows of golf and highs and lows of life and then on to presenting Sky Sports golf coverage uh, it's one worth listening to this is good stuff on any number of topics not least homeschooling here is our chat with Nick Doherty so hello Nick um, how are you you're keeping reasonably busy at the moment you seem to be quite busy I suppose Sky Sports have to try and fill a lot of hours still of, of programmes yeah, of course it's um, it is. In fact, I'm chocker. 
I'm chocker without having actually anything to do. So um, there's a lot of homeschooling going on, which has um, changed my perspective on uh, teaching and how difficult it would be to do. I'd much rather face a seven-footer downhill with a couple left to right in it than do one day of teaching. It's very, very testing for the patients, um, and I was, I've never had very much of it, to be honest. So that's taking up uh, a huge amount of our time. It's lovely being with the kids, spending more time with them, but the days are long. Everyone is exactly the same, whether it's Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, does not matter in the dirty household. Uh, and the, to be honest, the work is almost a bit of sweet relief for me. Really? Now you sound like yeah. you you might be the trendy young teacher who comes in and sort of flips the chair around the other way and sits legs astride and goes, hey kids, just call me Nick. I'm not Mr. Doherty. Mr. Doherty was my dad. Call me Nick. And then you try and, <laughs> you try and keep all the children on side, but they sense weakness. Well, I think it always starts off in that sort of way. And it's actually a lot of fun. And Max really looks forward to it. And about 30 minutes in, the frustration is showing and I, there's a lot of head in hands there's a lot of mate i'm just gonna have to take a little break there and go out in the other room daddy's going for a little walk around outside just to just to let that one go away because we we covered this didn't we mate we covered this six times you said you knew it didn't you and daddy's so going out, to go outside. screaming <laughs> screaming in the garden that's daddy screaming into the night air daddy why are you bellowing into the pillow <laughs> I, eddie um, have you seen have you seen um have you seen nick's press-up challenge do you see that at all on social media? Oh, I haven't actually, but um, I suspect you beat Guns Coltart. No, we just had to do twenty. We both did it. He should be quite good at that with the arm strength, though, right? Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think so. But it's all he does. Quite... He's got legs, leg. I mean, he's got chicken legs, and he's got those giant arms. So, I mean, if anything, his legs get the workout from him to carry those arms around. <laughs> you have a good bit of. Uh... You do have a good bit of back and forth with Coltart on on various things. Yeah, I do quite enjoy it. I mean, it's all in good fun, obviously. There's um, and the way I always look at it, I've had a couple of people, you know, when people DM you on social media, and <laughs> people say you should have respect for someone who's played in a Ryder Cup. It's a lot more than you ever achieved. In well, he career. he barely uh, played in it. Come on, well, you know, he plays sixteen holes. It's nearly a round. Um, <laughs> And he, held, he did give out a huge amount of bananas that week. I don't think anyone's ever given out more at a Ryder Cup, which is a fact that not a lot of people actually <laughs> recognise or understand, to be honest. It was a lot. It was a lot because guys needed a lot of sugar that week too. Um, but yeah, it's all in good humour. And um, I can only give him that much stick uh, because there's a huge amount of respect there. To, um, and hopefully it works the other way around, but I, I might be speaking out of turn. I, I, just to go back to your, your your playing career, because you were an amateur prodigy, and you know, no Ryder Cup, but Walker Cup 2001. That was a good Walker Cup team. Sea Island, you, you Luke Donald, Gray McDowell, Mark Warren. All of us, yeah. All of us played on tour at some stage, bar Gary Walsnome, who obviously never turned pro, um, but then did as a senior, and he's been successful, mm. obviously, on the seniors tour. And Nigel Edwards, who went on, he's now the performance director for the English yeah. Golf Union. He's had a, a super career and a Walker Cup captain as well. And uh, he's had a super career in amateur golf, never chose to. So, yeah, that was, they said the one before us was a strong team. That one, 15-9 NAND, yeah. included Dyson, Storm, Casey, Donald, obviously in that one as well. But that 2001 team, 15-9 in the States, was uh, a bit special, to be honest. Yeah, we'll come uh, to broadcasting in a minute. But just on your in your professional career, you know, three times a winner on the European Tour is impressive. Do you think that you you got the most out of your professional career based on what you'd been a, as an amateur? No, I think I'll always be viewed as an underachiever. I had a really strong amateur career. Um, I won a lot of tournaments as an amateur. Although I never really won anything big like the British Ams. I mean, I won the stroke play part of that, but I never won like the English Am or the British Am. But I, I, you know, I won a lot of tournaments. I won all over the world in different events as well. Um, rookie of the year my first year on tour you know I, I, I just think winning on tour is something that I'm very proud of so I've won three times and the tournaments I've won I'm very proud of as well I did expect to go on further and win more you know I, I, I sort of had aspirations of closing in on double digits and you know at least contending to win major championships um, but it all sort of you know went wrong in a period when I was ironically playing some of my best golf Um when I was around that top 50 in the world and inside it. Uh, and then it all went a bit Pete Tong, unfortunately. But yeah. that's golf. And I must admit, uh, on the other side of it, it's um, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Not My ego doesn't agree with that. My ego thinks that's utter tosh. Um, because the you know being treated how... To, and Eddie knows what it feels like. It, it's quite an addictive feeling when 
you know, everybody want, is hanging on every word you're saying and, and uh, wants to watch you play. And uh, People treat you differently. Fans come and watch tournaments wherever you're playing in the world. People treat you differently. And as much as a lot of that is very false, the ego really enjoys all that. And uh, I think I probably miss it in a sense, that feeling of being the star attraction and being the big boss CEO of my company. But I love working for a team in what I do now. And it's just failing like I did, which was fairly dramatic, has given me a much better perspective on life. And it's definitely helped me as a person. That's interesting. Um, and I, I, this is a tough question to ask. And it always annoys me when people ask me these types of questions. So it's exactly why I'm going to ask you it. Um, do you think your character or your personality has something to do with why you failed in that fashion, but also as to why you've become such a good broadcaster in that you have? Um, or do you, do you see any relationship in that? Um, because, you know, in my mind, and, you know, I, I would relate this to myself selfishly because we always do, but people would say to me, do you worry about this sort of thing, Eddie, because you overthink it? But then by the same token, oh, if you did fail, you'd be okay because you'd become a, a good pundit, whatever, blah de blah And I often think, well, is that relationship as symbiotic as that or is there actually that that just means nothing um what, what what's your opinion on that uh, i'm one of the people that ask you that purely because i think it's very true uh yeah. and i ask you because and again for the same reason you said from a selfish point of view i relate it back to my career and knowledge is power but only if it's used responsibly mm. um and i think the ability there, there have been some great thinkers uh in in golf who've been successful but there's been far many more legends of the game that really don't overthink the sport. Uh, they hit it and find it. And uh, I, I find that now from my job more than ever. When I was playing, I didn't think about it too much. Um, but now when I stand across the sky cot and ask guys about what they were thinking, what they were doing, I'm taken aback by sometimes the actual inaccuracy of what mm. they're describing in what they were trying to do, uh, what their work, what they're doing with their golf swing, which isn't happening. Uh, but it, and, and you know what, my, my best take from this ever was watching Lee Westwood do is um, do a, in fact a British Masters uh, masterclass. It was my first one, and Westwood on driving. Thought this will be amazing. This will be mega because Westy's a you know for me one of the best ever drivers of a golf ball. 15 minutes live TV. So this taps into a world that Andrew knows all about as well. I'm absolutely terrified because I've never done this. And I'm playing in the tournament. In fact, it was when we played, Eddie, me, you, and oh, Tyrrell, yeah. first two yeah. rounds. And I'd shot 200 on the first first day, and I'd beaten Westy. So I'm like, this is great. So I'm concentrating on my golf now. I've got to get into TV. This is the sort of direction I'm going. 15 minutes. This is easy, talking, driving with Westy. And I start by asking, well, you know, what are the keys to... Um, to what you do with your driver. He goes, well, you know, I just like to try and keep it really simple, really. And I thought, okay, no, that's all right. Yeah, okay, well, let's do shapes then, Lee. You know, tell us how you fade the ball. I thought, like, this is going to be, uh, this will be two or three minutes. He lit a couple of beauties down there. And he just said, he said, well, when I, when I fade it, I, I just, it's my natural shot, isn't it? So I, uh, so I just sort of, you know, hit my normal shot. And in my ear, I've got talk back in and they're saying, and it's a 15 minute segment and 14 minutes and 28 seconds to go. And, and I just like, I'm thinking, how on earth am I possibly going to get through this 15 minutes of my life? He's got nothing to say. And so anyway, I'm not even concentrating, but he's hitting these most stunning little fades. I'm like, okay, well draw. If he, if he doesn't know how he fades it, drawing it, he'll know, he'll have much more to say because he has to do something to make the ball turn right to left. And of course I know all. The science behind I want to tell them all about face to back. I want to explain all about this. I want to explain about all the, the dynamics that come into how you make the ball shape uh, and shift around in the sky. And I said to Westwood, so go on, how, how do you draw it then, Lee? He said, well, it, it, it's a bit of a change here, actually. I thought, oh, here we go. So I, I teared up higher and, and, I, and I hit it harder. I thought, oh, okay, that's that's not going to make it draw. Um, that That's not right. That's not even right. And I'm looking at him thinking, do I have to jump in here and tell them how you really draw it because this, does this reflect badly on me that I don't know how you draw the ball and all along I'm missing the fact that he's hitting these stunning little I mean it's like a frozen rope down there there's like a yard difference between the fades and the draws it's the most amazing display of driving you've ever seen but we get through to the end of it I managed to stumble through the 15 minutes I come off and I'm really disappointed with it all Lee's great in terms of he just does his thing uh, and I went back and I thought that was garbage. Thought, that was rubbish. That was nothing to take from that. And it was only the next day that I actually thought in itself, there is the genius of what makes people like Lee Westwood be able to stand out there and be this good for this long. Imagine if golf was as simple as when you want to fade the ball, it's just your natural shot, really. And when you want to draw the ball, you tear up higher and hit it a bit harder. Imagine if it was that mm. easy. 
Imagine if it was that simple, and it is to Lee Westwood, and that is that he, he absolutely applies all the things I wanted him to say, but he doesn't have to think about it all. And so for me, I think deep thought in golf can be can be dangerous. And I have huge admiration for guys, uh, and Eddie's one of these people, who can be super successful. Rory's another one. Rory is a deep thinker. And um, he is one of the outliers for me as well in, in players that give a lot of thought to the game, have a vast understanding of the technical aspects and also what he's thinking, uh, what the thoughts mean, evaluating what he's thinking versus the players like Dustin or Brooks, <laughs> you know, and uh, nothing against those guys. Their golf um, IQ is super high and thought for me ended up paralyzing my ability to play the game. I ended up with a giant yip with the driver where I was so fearful of how I would feel when I failed because I'd done it so many times. Um, it this became is, too much for me to overcome, actually. Yeah, so, you know, if we can just go a little further into this, because I often think about this, and I feel like people that you can you can differentiate between thoughts and feelings. And to me, you know, you have plenty of time to think about something and to create a movement that creates a feeling. And we all play golf with feels, not thoughts, or at least I think the best players play golf with feel. And you know, that's where I have a hard time sometimes because I think people just think that I'm thinking all the time and I think they would make that observation of other players. But actually, you're always playing golf with a swing feeling, not a swing thought. Now, you can think as much as you like about that in between shots in practice because as long as when you're over a shot, and usually it's a transition feel, um, you know, what am I feeling in transition? And um, I think you can play great golf in spite of being a, a deep thinker in that sense. But I do think you have to you know, differentiate between thoughts and feelings. And they are they're wildly different, I've always thought. There's a part of that which in my playing, when I was struggling, it was something I could latch on to. Feelings uh, in my golf swing I felt were unreliable because I'd failed a lot, because I had emotion attached to failing. Mm. So I was looking for something I could touch, uh, which is the same reason also why I started sacking people. You know, I was constantly trying, I, I'd like, rather than face up to the fact that I had stuff going on in my life that uh, needed dealing with that were actually bigger than, than my golf, but absolutely had a big impact on it. And I didn't want to face up to the fact that that's how it worked. I needed my golf to be something that was my escape. Um, it wasn't. And so my feelings and my emotions were attached into what I was trying to do. So I did everything I could to stay away from dealing with what was going on and feelings uh, because I just didn't trust myself or my golf swing at that stage. Yeah. It's fascinating that there is that trigger that starts something and, and from there it it sort of unraveled a bit for you. And, you know, we've sat here on, on what should have been Masters Sunday and you've talked very emotionally about the 2008 Masters because 2005, 2006, 7, 8, you know, that's when you really were pushing up in the world. But because of very sad events immediately after that Masters, you can't often separate golfers. I find it fascinating how you have to be in a good place off the course to play good golf on the course. And that, that was very difficult for you at that time. Yeah, I, again, there are players who, who do play well with stuff hanging over them. There's plenty, without going into detail, in, in the modern day that have got some big things hanging over them right now that are delivering brilliant performances. Um, and... I find that amazing because 100%, if, if my mind wasn't in a good place, I, I couldn't go out there and free up and, and, and free wheel. I had to be fully engaged and in a good place to play good golf. And um, I think, you know, with, with what happened with me, I'd, I'd let, part of the problem was I'd live such a sheltered life. <laughs> I'd like, the worst thing that happened to me was like three putts, you know what I mean? It's like, that, that, that was the worst part of my life. I, I had such a fortunate upbringing. I was made to work very hard for everything that I had, but I still had a very, very fortunate upbringing. And um, was allowed to go and pursue my golf and dreams and career. I, and I always had this mentality. My dad had brought me up. I believed that I was bulletproof as an amateur. I, and I always believed, even when I failed, I had this, my dad had instilled it in me that I was better than everybody else. And I absolutely believed it when I went on tour as well. And I just thought, whatever happened. And that's why I used to party all the time. I used to honestly believe, I had it in my head, that when I was going out partying, I'd play better the next day. Because I had a few runs of where I'd actually go out and then shoot like 66 the next day. I thought, well, that obviously helps me play better, which is just ridiculous. But I had that mindset, which was that almost naive, beautiful mindset that so many of the top players seem to have, where it's just like, even though it might look and you think, that's impossible, mate. That, that's, there's no logic behind that. That is just not the case. I believed it. And if you believe it, it can happen. <laughs> you, can, you can take yourself away from certainly not getting in the way of being able to perform. Uh, and I thought I was bulletproof. And then when you lose somebody like like I did in fairly dramatic and um, 
uh, its style like mum went uh, right after that masters uh, I wasn't equipped and it is very final isn't it it's it that's it there is no never see mum again for the rest of your life and this is a this is not a poor Nick thing this is a this is something we all face um, hopefully later in our lives than earlier we lose people in life and it's one of the great tragedies and sufferings that we all have to go through and I wasn't equipped for it and it was very public and I stupidly made it my goal to make that Ryder Cup team because I would look like I was going to make it. I was like in second spot in the standings at that stage um, when I had to withdraw from Harbortown after three rounds. Uh, in, in the standings for the Ryder Cup, I was in great shape. I made it my goal to make it for my mum, which heaped the pressure on. Uh, it was a stupid, stupid thing to do. And my golf became this very emotional sort of whirlwind thing through to the end. And the most relief I can remember feeling uh, through that period was when I didn't make it being interviewed by Tim Barter and I, I only missed it it came down to the last nine and the last tournament at Glen Eagles and Ollie Wilson got that last spot in the end I had a feeling I needed to make the team because he had to pick a couple of big players like Poulter and Casey Faldo's team this was and um, I was so relieved and I knew Nick wouldn't pick me he couldn't pick me especially the mental turmoil I was sort of going through Um and it just slowly but surely, I never dealt with any of this stuff. And I just drifted further and further away to the point where my last win was the most hollow day I ever experienced on a golf course. Because I remember winning in Germany, shooting 64 to go past uh, Goosen, who was leading, going out there with me on the last day in Langer. Um, and it meant nothing. I had it in my head that this will be this whole sort of, for mum, this win for mum, point up at the sky job, you know, the rainbow. And that's for you, mum. And everything's going to be better. And nothing's better. Mum was still dead, and um, I still felt crap about it. And uh, and I think that was when I realised I was in trouble because it was one of the most hollow days of my life. That and winning on tour is not that easy. <laughs> if you can't enjoy it, I only did it three times in over three hundred goes. So it's um, I knew I was in trouble then. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's a fascinating insight into because uh, you know lots of golfers will have, uh, if not similar or identical stories, you know similar issues in their lives, and we ne- we very rarely see or find out what's going on behind the behind the scenes or inside their heads. So it really is fascinating. But I mean, you know the 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 sort of slow decline in form or quick decline in form did lead to other things, and I just wonder when you started to consider that you might possibly think about a career in, in golf broadcasting? Well, I, uh, I took a long time. Obviously, I had the the limb to be reached on through Die. Uh, they kept asking Die, Jason Wesley, my boss at Sky, kept asking Die, will he come on? And I always had the idea of, no, I'm a pro golfer, not a TV guy. And I thought in my head, I'd seen guys like Howler and Ollie Wilson, who'd had, you know, a bit of a bumpy road, but not even that bad, but, you know, going and, and doing some of this stuff. And I thought, nah, 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 nah. That's like trying to juggle too many balls out. Like I'm a pro, I'm a tour player. One day I'd like to do it because it interests me that. And I, I like public speaking and, and I always enjoyed the TV aspect of it and doing interviews and what have you. Um, but I'm a player. And if I take my eye off the ball, it's a slippery slope to oblivion that. And I was very wrong. I was very, very wrong. Eventually, it got to the point where I'd lost my card and I'm on the Challenge Tour, which was a really hard thing for my ego to mm. take. That was a really tough time, <laughs> especially realising that those guys on the Challenge Tour are really bloody good and I can't beat them either. Um, I said, OK, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll come in and do it. And I bloody loved it from the very first one that I did. Because I all of a sudden, after five years, five years, almost half the time I was on tour, of sucking at golf and being on the challenge tour and working harder than I'd ever worked with just nothing coming back. Because even when I'd play it all right, all I had to compare it to, my ego would say, yeah, but look where you used to be. Look what you were supposed to do. Look at the tournaments that you won. You used to play, you played, and remembering playing in the Masters, stuff like that. My ego found that really hard. It was dark. And, it, and golf, unfortunately, isn't like that score a 91st minute winner everything turns on its head and you're a superhero it's a slow burner you can't fix it in a day and my ego also hated that Mm. so it was really really challenging time and all of a sudden I do a show and lots of texts people saying I thought you did a great job and I hadn't had praise or someone saying nice work mate or or not put their arm around me in sort of a sympathetic are you okay sort of way in five years and it was uh it was lovely and it sort of blossomed from there and eventually uh the Boss at Sky, Barney Francis at the time, first Sky Sports, came in and said, I see you being a, the presenter for us for the future. Um, and it's a commitment. And, and then I, I made that commitment then. And I need that. I don't like dabbling. And I thought, right, I'm all in. I'm all yeah. in. Golf's been very good to me. I love it. 
I've worked hard. I, I've gone back from yipping it and running out of golf balls on the 16th tee at Fancourt, my way to shooting in the mid-90s and being disqualified and being grateful for being disqualified so I'm not embarrassed by my score, to I played in the Dunhill and finished in the in the top 30. So in my own way, I had made a comeback from the darkest of the days that I had. And I didn't need to go back there. It was only my ego screaming at me that I needed to make it back and be a full-time member on tour and win again. I didn't really want it. And I, I say that people say it all the time, now you must miss it. I really don't. I love the game. I love seeing the lads. Um, I love playing golf still. I don't miss being a tour player. I, I can't believe you ran out of balls, actually, Nick. What a clown. <laughs> it was a lot of balls, mate. It was a lot of balls. There were two double-digit scores on my card. I was one under after six. I was one under after six, and I'm stood on the 16th tee, and I was... 16 over and it's a par five and it's on the links it was hard to die data so i'm playing on an invite down there it's the first andrew, round as well andrew this is a gary player design so it harps back a little bit to what i said last week about his little man yeah. syndrome crossing over to his course design but carry on Nick. <laughs> he does like them to be tough he does. it was hard but it was one of those courses where if you if you hit it off the fairway it's lost because it's knee high the fescue mm. on it's knee high so you just and you can't find it in there so it was like having out of bounds down the left and right. And as you, I, I've described to you, for me in my career, uh, with the things that went wrong, that is the devil's work. I mean, that is the ultimate difficulty for me because I, the driver, when I hit it offline, it would go 100 yards offline. It would mm. go so like embarrassing, like, oh my God, that's cringeworthy. So I'm stood on that tee. First ball, whoosh, gone into the rubbish. Caddy gives me another ball. It's Roy the taxi. And he goes, that's the last one, mate. And I remember pegging it up and thinking, you know what? this wouldn't be so bad if I lost it. I'm not going to try and hit it into the junk, but if it goes, I'm not going to be upset. And, and and sure enough, I blocked it way right, like all the other ones, and it was lost in time, so there was no five off the tee to be hit. Um, and then the lad said, the referee came up to me, and he was so embarrassed. I said, what's the plan now? And I knew what the plan was. He says, well, unless you can find a replacement ball. I said, I need no replacement balls, please, sir. And if you could make sure you go, don't go and try and help me find one, that would be great. Uh, I'm done. Uh, I'm happy to. But I, I'm not one for withdrawing. I don't want to. I don't like pulling the plug on rounds of golf. It's, again, probably my ego or anything. I always stuck things out, even when I was having a horrible time. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I was forced to be disqualified made it sit all right with me. And that's yeah, it was pretty bad. That, that's a bit of closure there on your on your playing career for you as well. But on, I mean, on the on the broadcasting, you will be able to get a little bit of the buzz of the adrenaline of the nerves as well. And perhaps you can explain. To, I'm sure a lot of people do know that it's not just you turning up and presenting. The work that has to go into it to make it look as comfortable and easy as as you do make it look. There is a lot of work behind the scenes. I, I'm taking it that you this answer is supposed to make you look good, yeah? <laughs> if you could, Nick, that would be great. Thanks. Okay, mate. Um, yeah, the work is amazing. The amount of work that goes into it. it, it to be honest, I just learned from the team around me uh, as I was going. I'd watch what the guys do. And, of course, we've all got different roles. Um, but there's just a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, I enjoy that because, again, it ticks a box that I enjoy, the same box that used to make me stand out there till I went dark and my hands were hurting when I was practising. Um, I enjoy that. I like sitting down. And when I do these Instagram lives that I've been doing, for instance, uh, it takes me about the same amount of time to prep one of those. So Eddie's one that I'm doing on Wednesday. It'll take me all of tomorrow to prep that properly. Um, I didn't realise you were doing it Wednesday. I'm busy. I'll program to play Wednesday, Nick. <laughs> Are you really? Are you in the pro Is it a virtual program? By any it's a virtual program with uh, Andrew's two dogs. <laughs> <laughs> super famous now. They're busy and, with uh, uh, with with Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, and Ryan Reynolds. They're playing a program, so they're they're now in the TV groups. I'm afraid they're not they're not out with your your, your group. Uh, yeah, I heard he's playing quite early on the first day, Eddie. Seven <laughs> <laughs> oh, ten, I think it was seven oh five. I think you are, mate. Oh, blimey, that is early. Uh, and and looking forward as well to the rest of the year. You know, again, we're peering into the the autumn and beyond into the winter. How would you enjoy presenting Masters in November? I'd love to present the Masters any time, to be honest. it's um, For me, last year, that was my favourite moment. Uh, obviously, being there at Augusta and in that anchor role for, for Sky Sports was amazing. But also, just being back at Augusta, last time I was there, as I said in the piece that I did the other day, was when I saw, 
last time I saw my mum when I played in 2008. So it was an emotional return. And then at the end of that week, which I was really pleased with how it went, and it was, it was a lot of pressure, the nerves, uh, exactly the same I used to feel as when I was playing. You know, it's live TV and there's expectations and all those same things. And there's that buzz that you were talking about earlier on, Andrew, as well, that you feel it's the same whether it's in live sport or playing sport or, or making the sport for or the coverage for TV. Um, it, there's a lot of pressure, so to get through that week was amazing. But then to have that result was out of this world, that hands-on-your-head sort of moment with Tiger winning again. It all blew us away. Uh, and I think we're all a bit disappointed, aren't we, that uh, we, we're missing out right now. But I've got a feeling if there is one of them that's going to happen, and, and there might be more, but, um, but if there's one that's going to happen, we chatted about this briefly the other day, I think that might be the one. And I think yeah. Augusta National would quite like that if that was the case. Not to outdo the others, but just to, if there's going to be one beacon of golf that shines at the end of this year, it might well be the Masters in November. Eddie Pepperell, which one is he again? So there we are, Nick Doherty, lovely, lovely man. He can, he can talk. He's He is a wonderful talker, Eddie, isn't he? Yes, he he's a very good talker. In fact, that's something I've realised doing this podcast. You know, we've had well, a number of guests now, and they've all been superstars in many ways. And it amazes me how how much they enjoy talking, you know? And I mm. kind of think, God, is that my future? Because it's great when you meet people who like to talk and who talk really well. Um, but I also do see a correlation between you know those who have success and those who do like to talk do you know what i mean um mm. i don't know what that means but yeah nick talks wonderfully i must say he's good uh, good company and very good at what he's doing now yeah are you doing um so it's not a, a it is a sort of tied in with sky sports obviously but you're doing instagram live with them on wednesday is that right about the british masters yeah they come to me and they said you want to do uh, a rerun of the british masters 2018 i said well it's hardly a landmark victory in the history of golf but uh, and i I feel a little weird about doing it because, you know, it makes me look like the narcissist I, I am. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. And we're going to do it on Wednesday evening, 8 till 9 p.m. So tune in to Nick Doherty and myself and we'll talk about, I don't know what we'll talk about, probably wine and food. Because my memory of that week was staying at Beaverbrook and just having great wine and great food. Mm. Are you on a retainer from Beaverbrook? It's like This is like Ian Carter with Shiskin Golf Club. Um, so, okay, I'm going to tune in for that then. So there we are, 8 till 9, did you say? On Wednesday, UK time, yeah. 8 to 9, uh, Nick Doherty and Eddie Pepperell will be um, Instagramming. Um, right, we're not going to do a, a trip down memory lane in terms of a major this week because there was quite a lot of uh, looking back and retrospective with Nick himself. But you can't get away from this feature. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there aren't many golfers called Alan. Once again, time for There Aren't Many Golfers Called Alan. Uh, this week, our name is, actually just before that, build that up with a bit of suspense, drum roll. Um, just tidying up last week because a, a couple of people got in touch to say, what, no mention of Gary Evans. I know, well, this is the thing, we, we forget names, we forget really obvious names as well. And uh, a couple of people got in touch and said, Gary Wollstoneholm, what about Gary Wollstoneholm? I can't, I mean, I can't forget Gary. I've tried. I've tried. Uh, but Gary Wilson, who absolute legend of the amateur game, and now in the pro ranks, doing very well in the European Seniors Tour. Uh, and again, I stress, I catted for him in the US Open at Torrey Pines when Tiger won and just pipped, pipped Gary by... 26 shots. Um, but that was, a, that was an amazing experience. So Gary Wilson home. This week, we are doing Nick's. Nicholas's, Nicky's. Obviously, Nick Doherty. That one's out the window. What's your What's your first one, Eddie? Uh, Nick Price. Oh. Brilliant player. Lovely golf swing. Bowler counts. Just a great, great guy. And my memory of Nick Price is actually when in the final hole, I think it was the final hole of the President's Cup at um, that bloody Gary Player design course again, <laughs> Fancourt. And he had like a, I want to say, an eight-foot putt to have a match maybe or to win a match. And he missed it. And he broke his putter over his knee. And it's the first time I've ever seen anybody do it the way he did it. And um, I've tried it and it's really hard. So he must have had such adrenaline coursing through his bones to do it. Uh, just a great moment. He's one of these people. And actually, Gary Player is quite good at this as well. But Nick Price will, you know, you'll meet him once. And then the next year, you know, he'll meet hundreds, thousands of people. And But he'll meet you and you'll have a brief conversation. And then a year later, he'll say, you know, oh, hey, how are the, how are the kids? How are, uh, and name them all. And then I'll say, Nick, I don't have any children. Um, 
No, but he'll say, but he'll be, but he does. He remembers not just your name. He remembers things about you and asks. You know, it's just one of those people. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Do you when you're doing pro ams? Do you are you good at remembering names no. of your playing partners? No, I have a. I I always write down what they're wearing. So you know, if someone's wearing blue shorts, it's BS for blue shorts or blue S. You know, or red hat or, you know something like that to describe them or you know what they're wearing or their personality so uh, and i just pray they never ask to see the car during the round because obviously yeah. then it gives away that i really have forgotten their names yeah but then you sidle up to one of them who you're pretty sure you know what their name is and you say can you just tell me what did uh, what did richard score there and yeah uh, and it goes the worst I'm, richard. Kind of... <laughs> I'm richard what that's john what? i dread those prams where it's raining because then everyone's wearing black waterproofs and i'm screwed yeah hey chief hey what did you get there big man <laughs> Boss. Um, right, okay, so Nick's, uh, Nick Price, yes, so three majors, 92 USPJ, 94 Open and the USPJ, so back-to-back majors. He was the best player in the world and just the best ball striker. People used to, other pros used to watch him hit four irons in the range because it was just a stripe show. Um, I've got Nicholas Van Hootigam written down, but I haven't written anything down about him, so um, I'll leave that. Nicholas Colsarts. I mean, uh, entertaining character, great great talent, three European tour titles. He was a wild card for the 2012 Ryder Cup. And then he played with Westwood, didn't he? And he, he shot he hit seven, eight birdies in an eagle or seven birdies in an eagle against Woods and Strick. I mean, Woods had seven birdies. This was in the Friday four balls. And they uh, they won at the last. And I don't think what Westwood admitted that he hadn't really done much, just sort of been along for the ride. But great talent, Cole Sartes. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um Fun guy, I get the fun guy, fun guy, mushroom. I get the impression that he's enjoyed his his, his life as well. His choice, well, possibly. But um, uh, again, the lawyers, no, they're not coming in again, ever again. Um, so yes, but he 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 always seems to have fun as, along the way. So there we are. Who's yeah, next? Yeah, um, next I'm going for Nick Watney. Um, he's had an interesting few years. In fact, he's had. He reminds me of like Hunter Mahan. You know, he's he had a. He was just a really good golfer, wasn't he, for five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. And um, five, six, seven, eight, my hood's good and baby is... Anyway, um, and then falling off the face of the planet, seemingly since he had a really bad final day, was it, at Whistling Straits in 2015, I want to say? I don't, and yes, that's right, that's right. Do you remember? And he had a really bad, I think, third or fourth round. Uh, heavy, heavy sigh. Must I step in again? Eddie is partly correct, but Andrew is clearly just agreeing because he wants to show that he knows stuff. In fact, it was whistling straights, but it was 2010 and not 2015 when Nick Watney was going well, but then had a cataclysmic system failure in the PGA. I thank you. And um, you see me went off planet, but I played with him at Sawgrass last year for the first two days, and he is a really, really nice man. Hmm. There must be something in the name Nick, although we're going to get to Nick Faldo in a minute. But uh, he's... Uh, Lovely guy, and he had caddying for him. Oh, this is really annoying because I've forgotten his name, but a legendary caddy. In fact, he caddied for Greg Norman for years. One lovely, lovely man. They were great company to be with that for two days. Oh, actually, Tony Navarro. Place. Tony That's Navarro. Right. Yeah. Tony Navarro. Really nice to yeah. be paired with Nick Watney now is tremendous because lovely caddy, lovely guy. And Good looks guy. almost identical to Andy Roddick as well. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, he won the WGC at Doral and, it, you know, five PJ two wins. Good, good player, as you say. He had that spell 2011-2012 in particular. He was hot. Um, Nick O'Hearn. Nicotine. Uh, Nick O'Hearn. Um, you know, he was a very just... I don't, I don't want to use the term journeyman because he was, he was better than that, but he got the best out of his talents. And he left-hander, not a big guy at all. But he had, you know, had some really good finishes. Six at the U.S. Open, the famous uh, U.S. Open at Winged Foot in 2006, and just a just a, a really really good player, Nick O'Hearn. There we are. I think I have an interesting fact about Nick O'Hearn, and it's actually to do with his wife. Okay. I think Careful. his wife is an artist or something. Is that I'm an interesting fact? That's just I'm a not, job. Well, I know I'm not sure if I've made that up actually, but okay. I'm pretty, pretty sure I've seen that around somewhere. I think she's like a really good artist, but I may have made that up. Okay, um, I think that's what the critics say. She's a really good artist. Uh, right, okay, we'll look that up then. Nick O'Hearn's wife, artist. Uh, we'll leave Faldo at the moment. Nicholas Fast. Oh, do you remember him? Oh, I do, of course I remember him. You've he gone a... twice in a row there, actually. That's against the rules, isn't it? Well, you mentioned Faldo already, so... That's true, said, Faldo yeah. counts for me. Faldo counts, I mean, Faldo, all right, Faldo counts for you, so there we are, you can have Faldo. Well done, you know, for remembering Nick Faldo. Uh, Nicholas Fast, six European Tour wins. Was second to Deval at the 2001 Open. Uh, played in the 2002, yeah, 2002 Ryder Cup at the Belfry. He played, 
and was fourth at the US Open at Oakmont 2007 when Nick Doherty led after the first round. So he, and again, his was not a swing of any beauty whatsoever, but you know, really, really good player. So I admire Nicholas Fast. He had a he had a really strong fist pump game. Do you remember? He had oh a, yes. Yeah. I, I had a look. He, I loved watching Nicholas Fast because he looked like he was an accountant or a lawyer just out on a golf course. And um, I remember when I first came out on tour, I played a practice round with Nicholas Fast on a Tuesday, and that is important. Yeah. Because he hit like a he hit like a shot on one hole, par three, and it came out like twenty yards short or something. And I overheard him talking to his caddy saying that he hits it twenty percent shorter on a Tuesday because he's just got no tournament adrenaline. And he was deadly serious. Really? And and I, and it was still something that I think about all the time when I play on a Tuesday. Because it's kind of true, you know, you don't hit the ball as far on a non tournament day, but twenty percent's quite a lot. Yeah. And um yeah, he was an intense character, but good nice guy. Right, uh, who else have we got? Well, I've given you Faldo. I mean, yeah. we don't really need I've to got... get facts about Faldo. Have you got some facts and figures about mm. Faldo? No, he was very good at golf, was very he? good, he's um, br- absolutely brilliant. Six majors. You know. Funny man, funny guy. You know, he's really found his humour in, in later life as well. Um, I've uh, Nick Rousey. Now, what's interesting about this guy is not that he's particularly great at golf because he's ranked 1981, so a bit better than you, but... But he's the brother of the famous um, Ronda Rousey. I was about to um, say Ronda Rousey. That, that's the only yeah. Rousey I know. Yeah, she's he's, a fighter. He's, yeah, he's the brother of her, and um, you know, so uh, that's interesting. You know, you don't find many MMA fighters. Well, I think she actually does WWE now. Uh, she's like you. She's gone for the fame and the money, yeah. and um, yeah. But there you go, Nick Rousey from America. I could end up commentating if she ends up fighting a dog at any point uh nick rousey well I'm, i can't i can't really talk that nick job was a, a very good player in the he, 70s he was always the pro at richmond golf club uh, and he had some success in the european seniors tour as well uh nick job so have you got any more have i won that i've got another one you, as well go on you i'll give nick you, flanagan you. the australian he, when he won the u.s amateur at Oakmont in 2003. He was the first non-American to win it since 71. Only Canadians and Americans had won it since 1911, and only about three Canadians. So uh, Nick Flanagan broke the mould, and since then lots of different countries have been wading in to win it. So uh, Nick Flanagan... Actually, this this break from golf came at just the wrong time for, for him. He was hitting a rich vein of... Form. He finished third in the what? What are you going to say? I'm looking at exactly the same page you are. No, I'm not. I'm not looking at any page. This is off the top of my head. This is absolutely off the top of my head. Uh, he finished third in the Australian PGA, twelfth at the Vic Open, and then I can't remember what he did. Can you remember what he did after that at all? Yeah, New, the New Zealand Open presented yeah, by Sky Sports. Yes. He finished third. Did so he's he, gone yes, from third? That's right. Yeah. He's gone from 1,118th at the end of last year to 409th. He is. That's trending. Oh dear, that is trending. Trending. Hashtag Nick Flanagan. Right, okay. Um, I think we're both winners there. Everyone's a winner for listening to our famous Nicks and Nicholases in golf. Right, we're uh, nearing the end here. Uh, you'll be glad to hear. Reviews, though. We had, uh, we've had lots of good reviews, and I'm very, I am genuinely pleased, thrilled that so many people are enjoying this podcast. A lot of you might hate it uh, and hate us intensely, but uh, some very positive reviews and some really good numbers listening. Um, Vic Colt. Has his review was five star review, expert curation of life and sport by two likable champagne socialists. <laughs> what is what is that? So that's like George Galloway would be a champagne socialist. I would think that would be he would be described as that. So we will, so maybe we'll end up on Celebrity Big Brother wearing leotards and licking milk out of a bowl with Rula Lenska. Yeah, that was that was definitely my favourite review. Um, <laughs> I'm not reminded. a champagne socialist. I'm an apple carrot and ginger wake up juice liberal. I don't well. know. That. Or Prosecco, far right. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm. It makes me think that that's like Laurie or someone who's just pretending to be that guy. Which does remind me. Once I I made up a an account on Twitter under a different name just to troll Laurie oh, Cantor oh, and Phil oh, Kenyon, oh, no. and uh, I enjoyed it. It was so much fun, and they hated it, which was great. And um, but I also left my only ever hotel review, and I'll tell you the hotel because it's Free World, and it was it was the one in uh, Cron Montana the Grand Hotel du Parc, and it was, well, this was my review, and it's still on TripAdvisor for all to see. It's My name was Top Hat 1966. Oh, no. And I said, terrible. I stayed here as I was playing in the Omega European Masters. Unquestionably throughout my stay, the kindest member of staff was the dog. He, she barked at me twice. We had no shower in the room, just a bath. There was a strange stench in the room also, like that of a sweaty bum. Breakfast was more uneventful than continental. 
My girlfriend went to the gym. She expected primitive, as someone had written before. Instead, she got laughable. The area is beautiful, and some rooms do overlook the stunning valley. Ours, however, overlooked the tennis court that was older than Billie Jean King. And I pay 275 euros a night for all of this. Safe to say, I won't be staying here next year. And I didn't, because I lost my bloody card. Um, but uh, <laughs> I never went and stayed back there. But uh, that was the only hotel review I've ever left. Oh, no, yeah, you destroyed them. I mean, that might have... Put them out of business. You are a champagne socialist. A champagne, not socialist at all. Um, that's that's cruel and cutting. What a way to end. Um, 91 countries listening to us now. That's good. Ivory Coast. These are the recent ones that have joined. The Ivory Coast, Senegal, Croatia, Antigua and Barbuda, Slovenia, Rory Sabatini, Zimbabwe, Nick Price, um, Montenegro as well. So Montenegro has got one course being built at the moment. It's going to be finished in 2021. Well, that was the plan anyway, before all this. Who do you think designed it? Colin Montgomery. No, it's a Gary Player design. <laughs> it's a Gary Player design. And, and Montenegro is stunning. Really tiny country on the in the Balkans, just sort of north of um, Albania. And it, mountainous, a lovely coastline. And the pictures of this course look extraordinary but basically I'm sure it's like a par 94 or something like that it's going to design like one of those courses out of the Tiger Woods games on the PlayStation years ago where like it was just ridiculously tough there, were, oh, there was one in a forest that was I think it was a course called Predator yeah well that was the, the one that was based on on Predator wasn't it I loved that one yeah oh that was so tough it that was, was designed tough. by Gary Player I bet yeah, the Highlands one was a bit sort of... Uh, yeah, Hamish, uh, yeah. with Hamish. Do you remember yeah, exactly. Hamish? <laughs> what? Exactly, because we all live in castles in Scotland and it was really windy and dark and rain. Okay, that bit's true. But anyway, uh, oh, good memories of playing Tiger Woods 2004, whatever it was, yeah. when I was already in my early 40s. Right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, next week, we might be trying a thing where we answer a lot more of your questions just to help drive this along. Um wondering if we should also try and do an Instagram Live thing. Um, well, we'll have a, we'll have a chat about that off mic. But anyway, thanks for thanks for stopping by. Stay classy, San Diego, and we are going to go and curl up in a tree and hibernate. And we'll we'll see you next week. Yeah, bye. bye.